What's up, coaches? Hopefully everyone's hanging in there, staying healthy, uh, staying at home, uh, as the CDC has asked everybody. But um, obviously there's tons of stuff that you guys can find right now on Twitter, uh, all on uh, every website there is. Obviously everyone now is using Zoom as well. So uh, hopefully you guys are finding everything that you need online. If you need anything from us, you can continue to listen to our podcast. We'll continue to bring them uh, to every week. Uh, And then we've also got all of our different installs, RTP Premium, a bunch of different videos to help you guys out as well. And all of that can be found on runthepower.com. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Team Builder. Team Builder provides strength and conditioning software to high schools around the country. Whether you write your own programs, have a full-time strength coach, or need training programs, Team Builder can make your program better. Right now, Team Builder is offering a 10-week off-season football training program with a two-a-day speed and agility program. This template even comes with videos from some of the top SEC strength coaches that will show you how to run your weight room. Visit their website and enter the code RTP to get the off-season football training template and start your 14-day completely free trial at teambuilder.com. Again, enter code RTP at teambuilder.com, which is teambuilder.com. This episode of the podcast is a little bit different than some of our normal podcasts. On this episode, we talk with Derwin Gray. Dr. Gray is the lead pastor of Transformation Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. He is also the author of The Good Life, and HD leader, as well as a former NFL safety for the Indianapolis Colts and Carolina Panthers. Listen as we talk with Dr. Gray about how football shaped and transformed his life, the importance of coaches, and his great message for getting through these tough times facing everyone with COVID-19 shutdowns. You can follow Dr. Gray on Twitter at Derwin L. Gray. Hope you guys enjoy. I didn't realize. I didn't realize you knew uh, Mikado. Uh, yeah, I do. I do. I was just talking to him uh, today, actually. Yeah, he uh, he married me man. and my wife, and he was he's awesome. I've I've leaned on him uh, on a bunch of stuff, especially in college, and then kind of fell out of touch a little bit more now that we're in different states. But uh, he was a, he was a great dude. Well, yes, he uh, is. so kind of how we always start this thing uh, is is we kind of let our guests introduce themselves and and kind of. Normally, you know, kind of give their football journey. Um, normally, we talk to coaches, as I said, so it's from kind of playing days to coaching and how that brought them to where they are now. But uh, for you, you know, uh, playing days to, to kind of how that molded you and, and brought you to where you are now. Uh, my name is uh, Derwin Gray. I'm originally from San Antonio, uh, Texas, and football has been uh, incredibly important uh, in my life. Uh, not, not just a game, though it is a game but it actually gave me a framework to actually play the game of, of life. I was, uh, so growing up in San Antonio, I can't remember a time that I did not love football. I can't remember a time that I p- did not play football. I'm talking from tackle football to touch football on the streets from telephone post to telephone post, uh, always loved the game. My uh, sophomore year in high school, I transferred to a high school called Converse Judson. And so Converse Judson was led by coach D.W. Rutledge, who's in the Texas High School uh, Football Hall of Fame. Uh, I mean, just he's an absolute legend. Um, so I was a part of building that incredible legacy that Judson has. I, I think we've, we've been to 12 
uh, I guess, 6A now state championships, which is the most in the state. And every year we just continue to win. Same culture. But um, football shaped me in that we never talked about winning football games at Judson. It was always about doing the things that prepared you to win, such as sacrifice and discipline and loving your teammates and and uh, selflessness and execution and unrelenting effort. And so at Judson, uh, I only started one season. And the one season I, I did start, uh, I became first, first team All-State and uh, had an opportunity to uh, to go to college, which in my context, I was the first uh, male in my family to go to college. And so I had a choice between uh, TCU, BYU, um, Kansas State. I went to a, a recruiting trip on the University of Houston, but uh, uh, that, that, that would have never worked. But um, I decided to go to, 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 to BYU because uh, Coach Lavelle Edwards was there. It was an incredible environment. I knew I'd get a world-class education. And just like now, BYU is always on ESPN. And so I went to, went to BYU, uh, worked hard, became a starter my sophomore year, led the conference in interceptions and continued to play great, left there as an All-American. And when I go back to games now, and particularly when, when my son is with me, he goes, Dad, man, they tr treat us really good here. I said, because you with me, son. That's why, you know, and, and so um, I've got a I've got a banner hanging up at the stadium, which is uh, which is really cool. So finished at BYU from 1989 to 1992. And then I was the 92nd selection in the 1993 NFL draft of the Indianapolis Colts. I was the seventh safety drafted uh, in the draft that year, went on to play for the Colts for five years, became a team captain. Uh, 1998 is when I um, became a free agent and I signed with the Carolina Panthers, played in three games, hurt my knee. Uh, I was on injured reserve at that time. And uh, then I moved to the next stage of my journey, which now uh, I'm, a, I'm a pastor of a church called Transformation Church, one of the fastest growing churches in the country. Uh, I'm the author of several books. I've got a brand new book called The Good Life, what Jesus teaches about um, happiness. You can find it at thegoodlifebook.net, thegoodlifebook.net. And so football has shaped me immensely from leadership to being a husband, to being a dad, uh, to have an emotional grit. Uh, God has used it tremendously um, in my life. So yeah, so that's kind of the the uh, 35 foot, 35,000 foot view of my life. There you go. Well, so uh, I'm kind of curious uh, going through and football being such a big part of your life for so long, was it a difficult transition for you once you stopped playing football? I think for a lot of guys, I know like me, uh, it's been several years now, but uh, it was a really difficult change and, and I got to still coach football, but it was still a huge shock or a huge change um, for me, not playing football all of a sudden, was that a, a smooth transition for you? Did you already know uh, that you were what you were going to go into? Uh, how was that you know, situation for you? Yeah, so for me, the transition was not hard at all. Um, once I was done, I was done. Um, and I think uh, for me, what happened was, was this. So, so growing up poor, 
growing up in an at-risk environment, growing up around domestic abuse, uh, uh, violence, uh, drug addiction, alcohol abuse, all, all, all types of stuff. So, so football for me was a way that I literally thought I was going to rescue my family. I thought I was going to rescue myself. I just, I just thought everything was going to be so much better. And so by my third year in the NFL, I'm literally like, you got to be kidding me. So I'm a team captain, a beautiful wife. I got the Lexus. I got a child. Um, I'm helping my family. But yet and still, I'm dealing with unforgiveness towards my father. Uh, I'm dealing with moral uh, brokenness in my own life. I can't love my wife the way she deserves to be loved. But then also, I knew that one day my NFL career would be over you know, the NFL stands for not for long. And so there was always this angst, always this pressure, always this dissatisfaction. Playing the game was great, but after the game, you knew that one day the Reaper was coming and who would you be then? And so for me, uh, one of my teammates was a guy who followed Christ. Uh, his nickname was literally the naked preacher because every day after practice, he would take a shower, dry off wrap a towel around his waist and he'd get his Bible huh. and he'd ask us, do you know Jesus? And in my mind, I'm like, bro, do you know you're half naked? It was like the weirdest <laughs> thing to me because I didn't grow up in church. I didn't know about J Jesus, you know? And so uh, one day he asked me, did I know who Christ was? And that built a five-year relationship. And then on August 2nd, 1997, my fifth year in the NFL uh, with the Colts, we're at training camp. And I remember calling my wife on the phone uh, right after lunch. And I said, I want to be more committed to you. And I want to be committed to Jesus. And it was like at that moment, literally, like I could, I could feel the change in my life. And the overwhelming feeling was, wow, I'm finally loved unconditionally, my flaws and all. You know, as, as football players, uh, we have game film, and you guys know this, the eye in the sky don't lie. So game film is game film. And all your mistakes, your missed tackles, your blown coverages, well, God has game film. And he sees our sin. He sees our mistakes. But what he does is he sends Jesus to play a perfect game for us and to sacrifice for us. And so what happened to me was, is when I, that moment when I said I want to be more committed to him, it was the love and forgiveness of Christ just literally transformed my life. And it was like the pressure was off. And then when I came to the Panthers um, and I injured my knee, I was on injured reserve. So all I did for, for the season was rehab my knee and read the Bible. And the more I did that, it was like God was weaning me off of football and preparing me for my next phase, which is to be a pastor and an author. And so, bro, I don't, I don't miss it at all. Like it was not a hard transition at all. And so when I was done, matter of fact, I actually called my agent and told him I was retiring. And so this was before guys were retiring young. He, he was like, why are you retiring? I said, you know, <laughs> I really don't know, but it's like I woke up one morning and my desire for the game had left and that desire was transformed to a new outlet. And so you have to understand, like I was one of these guys, I love practice. I love meetings. I love everything about it. Like I loved, I loved physicality. 
Like I loved setting the edge. I loved filling the gap. I loved reading route recognition. Uh, football to me was something I could control. I could study film. I knew down and distance and personnel. Like I love that. And then one day I woke up and I didn't love that anymore. Mm. And so it was like, you know what? I'm done. And my agent said, well, what are you going to do? And I was like, I don't know, but, <laughs> but I'm going to trust God and see. And so I grew up as a compulsive stutterer. So the idea of being a pastor was like, what are you talking about? I can't even talk. Um, the idea of writing books. I didn't even like to read books. Now I've written like five books. It's crazy. And so, yeah, it, it, it was not a hard transition for me. It was actually something I looked forward to. However, I do connect with a lot of players, whether high school, college, or NFL, that when their time is done, it is really, really hard. And I think that a sport like football, and this may be for all sports, but since we're talking about the greatest sport ever invented, football, um, it requires so much that we can actually lose our identity in football. We can actually begin to think that we're football players instead of a human being independent of football. And so the balancing act is, how do I give so much to it without it taking me as a person away? How do I extrapolate the principles and the values and the things I've learned? And then when I walk away from the game, I don't lose myself. And so I know for a lot of guys that leave the NFL, it's, it's pretty scary because your whole life you've been cheered for. And now you got to go work for the guy who used to cheer for you. That's a very humbling experience. Yeah, that's, so that that's exactly. Leads, go ahead. I was going to say, yeah, that kind of leads me into the question I had for, you know, how, how is your kind of story, you know, maybe giving you credibility to kind of lead and, and maybe help, you know, put, put people towards Christ or have you found it's really, really humbling because you're working with a lot of people now at your church that are like, yeah, Hey, football is great, but, that really wasn't a part of my life. How have you kind of tried to, to balance that yet also use that to your advantage to, to help people? Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a great question, Brad. You know, so the way I see it is God is like a conductor of a symphony and he is organizing every note through our free actions. And so football has given me a platform that when I say former NFL player and uh, thank God I got good genetics and I still work out. Sometimes people think I still play, which at 48, almost 49, it makes a brother feel really good. <laughs> uh, but what football does is it almost levels the playing field and people are more apt to listen. Because when you think of 7 billion people on planet Earth and you have four safeties on 32 teams, if you do the math, how many players in the world played the position I play? So there's automatic credibility with that. And I think for business leaders, they recognize, okay, so you have to have some type of strategy and work ethic. And I think for the everyday person, I let people know the NFL locker room is a microcosm of society. And you would be surprised at how many guys struggle with insecurity. We mm -hmm. struggle with the same sin, the same doubts. Um, uh, we're afraid of the same things. We just may have more muscles, but at the end of the day, 
regardless of your ethnicity, your class, your culture, your job, whatever, we all have a need, and that is the need of God's forgiving and life-transforming love. And so football has given me a platform into people's lives um, that I walk into confidently, but also gratefully. I think, uh, you know, one thing that I've, I've uh, noticed, I, I think that it's football a lot of times – you seem to, to kind of need to have some type of, it seems like when you're playing, some type of uh, pride or even hubris in yourself and, and kind of thinking that you're really, really good. And, and a, lot of, a lot of guys, that helps them. Maybe it really does or doesn't, but seems to help them uh, playing football. And I think that uh, at least my own problems came almost fully from uh, pride uh, and humility and then uh, finally being humbled. Um, and then uh, you know, even struggling at times with, with that false uh, humility. Uh, is, and, and I heard you even talk a little bit about talking about the, you know, you were gifted for nothing of, uh, that you've done at times to have really good genetics. Um, so, but a lot of guys that playing football has some, some type of uh, a gift that they were given. Um, but a lot of times, at least when I was playing, I didn't see it that way. I put it a lot on on myself, and I think that was a big struggle. Uh, is that something that you talk with uh, young young guys coming up to you know with them at all about uh, the the pride, the the humility part, the gifts that we've been given, and and really for no reason of our own? Yeah, you know you you raise a great point, and let me let me talk about the first point. To play football and to play well, you have to have incredible confidence in your capacity to get the job done. It's almost like borderline, um, you almost have to be borderline narcissistic in that I am the baddest dude on this field. I am the baddest man on the earth because if not, you will get devoured. But I think now as a follower of Christ, you can be confident, one, because you're playing for the glory of God, and two, you're being empowered by God, and three, when you do your best, it's your gift back to God. So what I'd say to football players who are followers of Christ, like if I'm doing a chapel for the Rams or whatever team, um, college teams, what, whatever, and I say to those who follow Christ, you should hit the hardest, you should compete the most, because you're not competing for rings. You're competing for the glory of God and to offer your talent back to him. And so um, humility is not denying your gifting. Humility is recognizing where your gift comes from. And the, op the ultimate form of humility is to say, I can get the job done because Christ is in me. Um, so humility is not denying that you can get the job done. Matter of fact, it's actual, it's actually very prideful when you self-loathe because all you're thinking about is yourself. So that's mm -hmm. the positive form. The negative form is if a guy has that type of bravado and confidence outside of Christ, when he gets done or even while he's playing, uh, he's going to be a jerk. He's going to be hard to to be around. And so it's almost like God's grace is a, it's a river that's able to channel something that's good from becoming bad. So like I have confidence 
that God has called me to be a husband, a father, a pastor, an author, but that confidence comes because God has given me the gift and I want to honor him. And even the ability to honor him is from the power of the Holy Spirit. So what I'm saying is this, followers of Jesus, if you play football, you should have unrelenting passion. Your physicality should be off the, off the charts. Your relenting effort should be just ridiculous. Why? Because Colossians 3.23 says, do all things as unto God and not to man. Love it, coach. Um, getting fired up over here. I know that, man. I appreciate you, uh, you sharing the, the word. Um, I guess the, the next question I have is, you know, it is kind of a trying time right now for people. I know you're right in the middle of it with, you know, government shutdowns and things like that. What, what are some things that you're kind of using to, to reassure a lot of these people? And I know, you know, every one of our listeners is also kind of going through some of those same, you know, whether it's self doubts or, you know, problems that they're having at home, whatever it might be. How are you kind of spreading the word on that? Yeah. So what I would like to do for your audience, if it's, if it's cool with you is, is last week, uh, my wife and I at Transformation Church. So if you go to transformationchurch.tc, transformationchurch.tc, not the Transformation Church in Tulsa, but the Transformation Church in Indyland, South Carolina. Last week, my wife and I co-taught a sermon called Breaking Through the Wall Called Fear. Now we planned this sermon in August of 2019. And so, um, you know, so I, I want to encourage your listeners to go and be encouraged by it. So what, so what we're doing at Transformation Church is, and I learned this from my football coaches, is that the first aspect of a leader is to define reality. So here's the reality. The reality is COVID-19 is a virus that humanity has never seen. There's no immunity. Uh, there's no vaccination yet. Therefore, it's spreading. It is incredibly harmful on older people with compromised immune systems. However, none of us want to get, get it. So number one is we need to comply with what the CDC is saying. Um, number two, we need to wash our hands. We need to do all those things that are helpful to make sure we don't get sick. We need to practice social distancing, okay? Now, the third thing and this is a hard thing, but I think it can become a good thing. I think as Americans, we're recognizing just how fragile we really are as human beings. A virus all the way in Wuhan, China, has taken trillions out of the stock market and has literally shut down the greatest economy the world has ever seen. And I think God didn't cause this, but I think he's working beneath the surface to show us, hey, have you been depending more on the economy, more on your job, more on your health than you have me? Uh, there's a parable in the Bible where Jesus says, don't build your house on sand castles. Build it on a rock, because if you build it on sand, when the wind and the rain and the storms comes, it'll wash it away. But if you build it on the rock, it'll stand. And throughout scripture, God is called the rock. And the great thing about our God, who's the rock, is he's saying, L -l -l listen, I'm not angry with you. I'm not mad at you. I want to love you. I want to give you strength. And ultimately, um, there are going to be people that we love, that, we're, that we may lose, 
But if they know Jesus, it's only a loss for a little bit. And so our hope is not to live in fear, but to live in faith. Our hope is to be the hands and feet of Christ. So like what our church started doing is we're going to feed 325 families per week. And we're increasing financial funds to be able to feed more pe people because there are kids in our community who we were all already providing backpack meals for them when they would go home on the weekends. Now that's gone because school's closed. And so this is an opportunity for followers of Christ to really be the hands and feet of Christ. So what I would say is in this time, we need to pray for the scientific community. We need to pray for our government. Uh, we need to we need to pray for people who've lost loved ones, and we need to pray for people to recognize, man, I need something more than just depending upon my money, my job, my health. Like I need Christ. I think that's a a great message, and it, and it kind of brings me to uh, my next point or my next question, really, for you. Uh, th this is really easy for us to I think talk broadly about. I think at times, though, it, for certain public school uh, teachers or coaches. When it comes to practice, it gets a little bit more, you know, and, and practice pouring into kids is a little bit more on the fragile side as far as how do we get these messages across, um, but then also and do what we're supposed to do, but also keep our jobs. You know what I mean? So yeah. uh, do, have, you, have you worked with some coaches? Do you have some maybe some tips for some guys out there that, that they want to do more, but they also obviously want to keep their job and, and – and, yeah but also impact kids as much as they can? Yeah, absolutely. And let me say this, and, and um, if I get emotional uh, uh, about this, just, just bear with me. I would not be who I am today without coaches who were underpaid, underappreciated, and overworked. Uh, my heart for coaches is big because of their heart for me. I had coaches that would give me rides home after practice. Um, I had coaches that would buy me food after practice. Um, I had coaches that were the dad that I didn't have. And so what I want to say to those coaches is one is I'm a fan too. Thank you so much for what you do. Um, there are kids right now who are absolutely <laughs> knuckleheads like I used to be who in 10 years are gonna see you and just say, thank you for making me the man that I am. And so what I wanna to say to the coaches is this, Matthew 6, 33 says this, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. In other words, God is going to provide. Um, just trust him, continue to love, continue to serve, be present uh, with your family. Uh, invest in pouring to them. Um, we give so much to other people's kids. Make sure you're giving to your kids. But in the midst of this, um, seek God, and he's going to give you what you need. Now, he's not going to give you your greeds, because if you wanted to be rich, coaching and teaching in public school was not the way to go. <laughs> you did this because you wanted to make a difference. And I promise you, you're making a difference in kids' lives. There's probably a kid like me who went through abuse, who was a stutterer, low self-esteem, who didn't believe in themselves, and there were coaches 
who pulled out of me what I didn't even know existed. And so it's worth it. You're on the front lines. And in today's world, you're not just coaching, man. You're, you're psychologist. Like you are dad replacement. You are teacher. One of the things that my coaches did for me, my defensive back coach, his name is Mike Sullivan. He was a defensive back coach, defensive coordinator at Judson. And so after my senior year was done, I hadn't passed my ACT and I needed to score a 16 to get my scholarship to BYU. So when the season was over, he would take me up to his office and he would get his old school uh, Mac computer, pull out a floppy disk of ACT preparation. And I would work on that thing for hours. And I had to take the ACT three times and they would take various scores from various tests and I finally got a 16. Um, That's what you guys as coaches do. And what's so cool, that was in 1989. Fast forward to 1998, I'm on the phone with that coach. I become a brand new Christian. He calls me because we stayed in contact. He was asking me about what schemes do the Carolina Panthers run because that was in the heyday of the zone blitz with Dom Capers was our head coach. And you had all these odd fronts and people blitzing from everywhere. And he was asking me for schemes. And I stopped him and I said, coach, I got to tell you something. Something's happened to me. He's like, what? I said, man, I've come to know Christ. Like I've been forgiven, man. I, I know what love is now. And he just got silent and he said, I need you to fly down to Texas immediately. So when I get, 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 get there, I'm speaking to um, some of the kids that he wants me to talk to. And then afterwards, he pulls me into his office and he just starts crying. And he says, I'm going through a divorce and I need you to coach me in faith. I need you to teach me about Jesus because I need forgiveness and I need love. And right there in his office, I led that man to the Lord. So coaches, you're making a difference. You're in a bigger story than you realize. That's obviously, uh, you know, powerful. Um, So, you know, kind of with five minutes left, I know you've been extremely busy today, uh, but we still got five minutes with you. Kind of the last thing, and this is touching on uh, talking to coaches, so it kind of transitions really well. Um, I don't don't know that it's just in our, our, you know, coaching community or if it's all jobs around the world, uh, or if it's just me personally, uh, I had a, you know, troubles uh, with, um, addiction, alcohol addiction for a long, for, for a while. Um, the, the reason that I got over it was, um, among many reasons, uh, finally gave power over. Um, and it was a huge change in my life. I think probably right now there's some guys out there that, that maybe are still struggling, uh, especially in the coaching community. And, Maybe even, I mean, who knows, these next few months where they're stuck at home, I don't know that that's necessarily a good or a bad thing either. Uh, And I'm sure you've dealt and you guys have many resources for this. Uh, What are maybe some things that that you would push towards those guys that that maybe are struggling in that department, do need some help with that? Uh, What are some resources you could give them? Yeah, you know, um, I would say, number one, um, Roddy, I, I appreciate your transparency. Uh, because uh, one of the fastest growing segments of American society that is declining in age 
is white men 35 to 50. Um, they are dying at a rapid rate because of opioid addiction, substance abuse addiction, and suicide. And so what I want to say, not just to that demographic, but to all the coach listening, you are your strongest when you're your weakest and ask for help. Um, there are multitude of reasons why there's substance abuse. Let me talk about one reason that um, is not talked about much is typically underneath substance abuse is, is brain illness. Notice I didn't say mental illness. I said brain illness because your brain is an organ and just like your kidneys can have issues, your liver can have issues, your lungs can have issues, our brains can have issues. And so a lot of times there's an underlying brain health issues and coaches are self-medicating through alcohol or drugs or what have you. So the first thing is you will never be stronger when you're the weakest and say, I need help. So confide in your wife, uh, confide in your faith community, uh, find somebody that you trust to get some help. Um, and it may, you may need to see your primary doctor about, uh, you know, navigating through addiction and brain health. But ultimately, ultimately, um, Jesus is not afraid of your addiction. He's not afraid of your anger. He's not afraid of anything you've done. Um, he won't run from you. As a matter of fact, the reason you're listening right now is because Jesus is running towards you. And he doesn't have clenched fist. He has open arms and he's saying, son, come home. Son, come to me. Let me heal you. Let me strengthen you. Let me help you be the man you were created to be. Will it be easy? No. Will it be worth it? Yes. Will it be painful? Yes. But will it be worth it? Yes. Um, literally, it's not about you. It's about you becoming the best version of you so those around you can be the best version of themselves. And so I want to encourage you to to get some help, like even now as you're listening, the Bible's clear, man. Just, uh, just, just say, Jesus, I believe. I'm, I'm ready to follow you. I'm ready to have my sin forgiven. I want a new life. I want a new power. I want a new start. I believe right now, wherever you're listening from, he will visit you. He will touch you. I know. I called my wife on the phone from a dorm room in Anderson, Indiana, and Anderson College, and Jesus was there. He met me, and I haven't been the same since. He'll meet you too. Coach, man, we're coming up on the, the end of it here. Appreciate, just appreciate you sharing your, your personal testimony and, and you know putting those words out there. I think for a lot of coaches, especially in a, in a time like this, you know, like you said, man, if, if we can help anybody, we, we've done our job. So appreciate you coming on and, and spread, brother. Hey, man, appreciate you guys as well. Uh, keep up the wonderful work and thank y'all for having me. And I would love for your listeners to pre-order my book, The Good Life, What Jesus Teaches About Happiness. They can go to thegoodlifebook.net. Thank you guys so much. And that's going to do it for this episode of RTP. We want to again thank all of our sponsors. You guys make sure and go check them out. Help grow our community by telling other coaches about Run the Power. And if you enjoy Running the Power, go get your shirt 
long sleeve, or hoodie at runthepower.com. Also, if you have any topics or any questions you would like for us to discuss in the next podcast, simply rate our podcast and then leave a comment in the writer review section of the podcast app. This will help our podcast rating as well as it allow us to answer the questions you all want answered. Make sure and go check out our blog at runthepower.com. Follow me on Twitter at Harper underscore Coach and Coach Walls at Coach Brady Walls. Run the Power now also has its own Twitter and Instagram, and you can find that at Run the Power. Hope you guys enjoyed this one. Talk to you soon.